to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled to be here today. We're going to have a wonderful discussion with an author, Sue Ann Kirkham, who wrote the book Living with Zelda, and it's a stepdaughter's caregiving journal, and it's very well written, and I think you're going to learn a lot uh, from our conversation today. But but prior to introducing her, I just want to make a couple of announcements. One is the World Health Organization just released their second anniversary report, and it's called From Plan to Impact. And they are uh, identifying seven action areas, which are wonderful. The first is dementia as a public health priority. Two is dementia awareness and friendliness. Then three is dementia uh, risk reduction. Four, dementia diagnosis, treatment, care, and support. Five is regarding support for dementia caregivers. And six is information systems for dementia. And then seven, of course, is research and innovation. So that's a really exciting report. It's put out, um, you can grab it from the Alzheimer's um, International uh, Disease uh, website there, or ADI. Um, I also want to just give a shout out to Dementia Action Alliance. They're doing their second North America conference this June. I can't believe June is just around the corner. Uh, The 20th through the 22nd in Atlanta, Georgia. And you can go to DAA. Uh, now.org for more information. Let's see. And then there is the um, Cruising Through Caregiving virtual book tour that started on the 15th and will go through August 28th. It's um, once a week and um, you can find more information on that by going to my homepage at alzheimerspeaks.com. And then ADI Um, Alzheimer's Disease International is also doing a large survey and they would love your input. You can again go to my website on the homepage and just click on uh, the big red banner that says, what do you think about dementia? It's very, very important that they hear from you. Their studies are absolutely fantastic and it will make a huge, huge difference. So please participate in that. So let's get to our guest today, because it's like I said, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Sue Ann uh, W. Kirkham is a freelance writer and blogger, and she has published articles on aging and family relationships, as well as online profiles of inspiring everyday heroes. Her account of assisting her father and stepmother as a struggled with declining health and the onset of dementia is um, all wrapped up in her book called Loving Zelda, a stepdaughter's uh, caregiving journal. And that was just released this last February. So welcome, Sue Ann. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Delighted to be chatting with you. Well, good. I found your book very interesting and uplifting. You really lay out the emotions as, as, they, as they come across, and I think so many people will be able to, to relate to it. Well, why don't you tell us, what was one of your biggest takeaways from the whole caregiving experience? Well, I think one of the things that I struggled with was um, beating myself up, you know, to say don't I would say to people, don't be too hard on yourself and, you know, and also try to develop a thick skin because you're, you're going to sometimes disappoint yourself and you're going to sometimes disappoint other people. And sometimes they're going to let you know that or in subtle or or direct ways. Um, But if you, if you can focus on the successes and those, all those sweet spots along the way, it's going to be a lot easier to maintain a, a balanced perspective. And your perspective is going to mellow with time too. You know, when you're right in the middle of, 
all of this. Um, this it's a whole new it's new territory. You're kind of wandering around without a map. And um, but I, I worked on my memoir for over a decade before publishing, and and the very act of, of writing it helped me to see things that I had been blind to when I was kind of chin deep in in the situations I wrote about. So I, I think just you know give your time yourself time. Um, and be patient with yourself. I think that that makes a ton of sense. I know um, my friends used to call me the calm one, and it's like, well, I lived with this for 30 years. I wasn't, I wasn't there from the get-go, but you do. You learn how to put things into little different um, perspective and, and so forth. What did your, your family think um, and your stepfamily think of you publishing a book? Because I know that sometimes that people aren't always comfortable with that. Very, very interesting, um, very good question. I, you know, I have um, four stepsisters, and my sense is that two of them just don't want to comment <laughs> on the whole thing. Um, I do have a stepsister who's not comfortable with sharing all the all the family details. This was my personal experience, so I, I felt, you know, once I'd run it by all of the people involved um, and gotten feedback that, that I, I, I was, you know, I tried to soften anything that, that, that might be offensive to anyone, um, to any of the people, the characters involved. But um, I have another, my, another stepsister who is just gung-ho supportive. She, she loved the ideas. She's all in favor. And I think she, she sees the, the benefit, you know, of share of, as you said, you share a story. We're, Every story is going to be a little different, but there are going to be so many relatable points along the way. And so many times when I would have liked to have uh, read or talked to someone about uh, something and then have them go, oh, yes, yes, I, I know, I've, I've been there. So the the family reaction has been a little mixed, um, but you, I think you just have to be really sensitive to that when you tell tell your story. And you have to um, be true to yourself too, and and just just make sure that you're you're accurate and fair, and um, but but it, it's a little bit complicated <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, and I think that's if it's a step family or or your nucleus family, it doesn't really make any difference. Everybody has an opinion, and it's always going to be a little bit a little bit different right. there. I know just sharing. I, I've not written a book myself. I'm 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 going to, and I've got a couple of them inside me. But I just remember sharing stories with my brothers, and they were like, "Well, where'd you get those?" And I just remember thinking, "Well, I was there," you know, because yeah. we weren't there as much, and it really made me feel sad for them that they didn't have some of these beautiful stories that you know were great learning experiences and just you know honored to be on that journey with them and it, it made me sad so I, I agree with you I think sharing stories is so important because many times people feel so isolated and if it's reading a book or talking with somebody, it really doesn't make any difference. It's just like, oh, I'm not alone. Um, so Anne, can you tell our audience, what was one of the greatest challenges in dealing with your day-to-day -day unknowns um, when caring for your stepmom with dementia? Well, you know, I, I think your program brochure says it well. Um, you, there's a point, you, you give some, some pointers, and, and one is be spontaneous and flexible, willing to reprioritize. I'm, I'm such a creature of schedule, and I, I'm a clock watcher, and I find a lot of comfort in my daily structure and routine, and, and then I assume that would be a comfort to my stepmother, as some of the literature suggests. Um, and I think for some people it is, but you know, it's, it's a matter of this works until it doesn't kind of thing. But it, it, in our case, that just really wasn't, um, the best approach. It, there, that, I think it felt like imposition to, from her perspective. So, you know, the minute it stops working and you, you need to step back and, and kind of follow the flow, um, it, trying to lead in the, in the face of resistance is, that's not good for either any, either party. Um, and there, you know, there's really no being right in the context of the, of the daily adjustments. You just have to, you have to bend. And that's something I kind of wish I had, I had read your brochure <laughs> many years ago, but it, you also learn and you and you um, and you do flex with your own situation because you out of necessity it, it, it kind of trains you the the experience trains you 
Yeah, interesting. You talk about the routines. I was talking with a gentleman uh, yesterday who has FTD, and he explained it like this. He says, I love my routine. I don't necessarily like somebody else's routine. Good point. Yeah. And, and we forget about that. We think it's our routine. This is the routine of the day or whatever, but but it's not always. And uh, we have to be careful in terms of how that's communicated. Now, you, you wrote in the book, and I love this, you said, I fend off negative thoughts, seize the comedic as it wheezes by every day in, in Zelda-isms, and, you know, and how that really helps you survive, you know, block different pathways off when you're going down that negative. Can you share a Zelda-ism with our audience? Oh, boy, there are so many. Um, that's another good question. Well, she was just such a... Uh, a whimsical, uh, had a whimsical personality and she, we would uh, go for walks and she would see um, uh, things in the clouds, pictures in the clouds or in the bark of a tree. And I, I can't think offhand of a specific one, but if you read the book, there'll be plenty in there. Um, but I'm thinking of walking, going for a walk and uh, having her look up at, at a balcony or at a at a deck that we were passing in their little townhome village and said she thought she saw a gnome descending from that deck and so I, we had a little conversation about that and you step into that with someone and it's it's just I, I I feel delight just recounting it just remembering it because you you um yeah it, it, it can be there's so many opportunities to step into their world and she, it was hard to tell in that instance whether she was just being her her um, whimsical self or whether this was a little bit of the dementia. Maybe she she really did see a gnome descending from that balcony or from that that deck. But um, in either case, it was um, it was fun to just kind of trot along beside her and, and to, as we talked that possibility through. Yeah, it is fun to enter their world when you when you let go of that control and that right or wrong and just kind of get that that playfulness back. You you also write in here, I come dangerously close to exploding out of my own flesh in a guttural um, alien-like scream anytime overlookers, you know, register disgust over dad's gag-eating coughing or Zelda's vacant stare. And I think one of those things is really struggling um, with how how you're treated by others. Can you can you talk a little bit more on that? Yeah, you know, I my dad was having health issues and and more complicated ones than we ever realized at the time because he just did not talk about them. You know, he was he was very guy like in keeping those things to himself. And then Zelda um, would sometimes, if we're out somewhere. Um, she might dither a little in the line at the at the library to check out a book. It was I had to keep reminding myself this is our reality, this is our universe, but but we're nobody else cares. <laughs> I mean they're they're going to go about it's just as in everyday life. Others are going to buzz around you going about their day to day activities, and they're not necessarily going to be sensitive to this very specialized kind of situation um, that's again where the tough skin comes in handy you, you just need to grow one um, grow that thick skin thicken that skin because it, you're going to encounter that very often I found and I, I guess I was a little shocked at, at how often that happened um, but you you deal with it I guess that's that's one of the growing points for me too is that trying to deal with it diplomatically um but boy either that yeah I'm a, I'm a pretty emotional person and that kind of comes through as you read read back that little passage to me that's how I felt sometimes you just I I had one episode one incident where Roselda and I were walking their townhouse grounds and this um fellow who was one of the groundskeepers kind of the regular maybe he was the, the the overseer of others but was riding around on his little um lawnmower or whatever and shouted out some ridiculously offensive you know um or at least she doesn't need a leash like the dogs something hor horrible like that that you just it's unimaginable to a person with a brain and a heart you know that someone could be that that insensitive and that callous oh my um, gosh. And, 
that was one of those times when I just, I wanted to say to her, excuse me, I'll be right back. I've got to go strangle someone. <laughs> but you, it, it, I don't, you know, you just, I, I would hope that most people would not encounter anything that blatantly um, outrageous, but um, that you can, it helped me, I guess, to learn to deal with the less, the less offensive uh, situations. But it, it, I think that that was another kind of a uh, revelation to me that this, the range of reactions, because that librarian in the line where she is trying, where Zelda is trying to find her library card, and she decided, Zelda decided she wanted to talk to the librarian. The librarian was the sweetest, you know, most angelic human being who smiled and chatted and and um, no, you know, didn't, made no effort to rush her. So we we saw both extremes, but that's one thing to keep in mind. You're, you're probably going to see both extremes, and you got to learn to really appreciate the the kindness that you will you will encounter so often, and then just kind of have to learn to kind of how to deal with the other end of that extreme. Yeah, I know for me, it made me look inward more in terms of. Um, how am I reacting to others? You know, because a lot of times we don't think that we're reacting or that we're rolling the eyes or making comments or maybe we're not saying a word. I know my daughter calls me on it and I'll go, uh, you know, and I'll just, just kind of have that. And she's like, mom, I can hear you in there. And I'm like, I don't even know that I'm doing that. I think I'm not saying anything, but you can hear this deep breath of disgust or whatever that I'm, I'm not happy with something. And so it's made me, look inward as well as outward and then really super like you said cherish those precious moments of of kindness because there's not enough of them around there um, I also wanted to ask you um, if you have suggestions for others in terms of you know how they can help care for you know their loved one um, yeah I think I think just seek out support and take care of your own physical health. Those would be my two things. I didn't find a lot of support uh, groups out there. This was 12 years ago, and they might have been out there, but you tell yourself, oh, I'm too tired. I don't have time. Um, how am I going to put that in? I just never, never sought that out, and, and I should have. That would have been very helpful to, I think, all of us, but, but to take, if you can, at the very minimally, at the very minimum, take care of your own physical health. Um, for me, that meant attending to my sleeping and exercise habits. And I found a, a good, brisk outdoor walk. You went a long way to help with both the sleeping and the stress. And I just, I think back about it, you know, I just wish that all the hard work of support network infrastructure, you know, because I don't think there was as much of it then back then, certainly. And the community efforts, you know, uh, awareness efforts that, that leaders like you have initiated and promoted I, I had been available in 2005. And I've been researching these since, uh, since the book came out, and I'm, I'm learning volumes. They're, they're out there. They're blossoming all over now, and, I, and it's so encouraging to see that. I, I participate in some of those networks now after the fact, and I feel like I can offer a bit sometimes in the nature of what not to do, but but I'm very much encouraged by, by new research and new programs and, and um, new insights, new information. I'm sure there were a lot of moments that just surprised you, period, you know, on this journey, but what surprised you the most as, you know, you, you kind of stepped into this role um, with your with your dad and your mom's everyday activities, were there certain things that just kind of made you step back and go, "Wow, I had no idea." You know, I think of two things off just come to mind immediately. One was the lack of communication between physicians. That was, that was a huge shock to me. You know, with all the computerized record sharing capabilities out there, and and I was just astounded at how little interest the left hand seem to have and what the right hand was doing. You have a specialist over here, maybe you've got a couple different specialists, and then you have the, the general, um, the family doctor, the, the GP. Uh, 
it just seemed to me there should be some really good communicating going on in a situation like this, even as far as medications and, and um, not, I don't know, I guess that I, I was, might've been naive of me, but, but that's one of the things that, that I was shocked by. And I think that other uh, big thing for me, oh, there are so many to say, so many, as you say, but was that assumptions kind of made by people who are outside your little daily caregiving circle, um, even though you know, we talked about this earlier, family members who share a long history with that, with the parties, but you, they don't see your everyday reality. They don't live your everyday you know, struggles and ups and downs. And I, I guess um, I was, I know I was surprised when I began my daily visits at my, I was there not 24 hours a day. I was there six, seven to eight hours a day. And um, so I know it surprised me when, when the full reality hit me and, and I, when I, once I became immersed in it. So I guess it was naive of me to think that others outside of that would make assumptions. But again, you're going to have really supportive people who, who, you know, assume on the positive side of things, but you're going to have, have people who just make all sorts of assumptions about what they can suggest and how you should be doing this better or differently or, or, or more efficiently or more effectively. And they don't understand that. Yeah, I've tried all those things. Um, this didn't work. This didn't work. And now we're trying this. So it's, it's um, everyone, there's, a, there's always the human emotion aspect of it too. It's, it's hard for people who love this, uh, the, the person with dementia yearly, and it's it, everyone deals with difficult situations differently, and with those emotions that that go along with them. I agree. I I think it is really difficult. And when you said, you know, you you know, you notice things once you were on board and there, and and you know, six, seven, eight hours a day. That's that's a that's a full time job. Then people aren't realize things can be hidden from us when we're not around that long. You know, I, I know I can do it myself when I'm not feeling good. I can, I can, uh, you know, suck up and, <laughs> and put on a little performance so that people don't know that I'm not feeling well or whatever, whatever the case might be. But, you know, someone can't do that for the whole day. And yet, like you, I, I was shocked when people had different impressions. And then I had to look at myself and go, well, I guess I wasn't communicating really well with them in terms of what was really going on and or I thought that you know that they just you know trusted what I was telling them but because they were seeing something different they they weren't trusting what I was saying and I never kind of realized in the piece of the puzzle that well they weren't trusting me because that's not what they were seeing and if you had that same situation I was horrified say for example when um say uh, say if my stepsisters seemed to think that that something wasn't going the way it was supposed to be and then i realized i think another thing that it's really important to realize is that when zelda was with one of them she was telling them things that may or may not be accurate and often were totally inaccurate and they were not realizing that she didn't have a full grasp of the situation or, or of the reality. She had her own little reality she was living. They didn't realize that was not accurate. That did not happen or, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, that was not the way things were. So they took her at her word and then looked at me and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did I do to disappoint people, to give them reason to distrust me, to give them reason to question me? Well, Maybe I didn't do anything, but Zelda might have told them, you know, that that I did that I did this or that or didn't do. A lot of times it was things that I had done and she'd forgotten that I'd done them for her. Um, financial issues that I'd shared with her, but she'd forgotten and or or they confused her. So then she would report to someone else that boy, I just was dropping the ball on that and I was not letting her in the in the loop and I wasn't communicating with her. I was. She didn't remember that I did. And then others will hear that uh, distorted view. 
So I think that's another thing to be really aware of is that sometimes you just have to keep sitting down and talking one-on-one with other people involved because to make sure things don't get misunderstood or misreported just very innocently by someone who, who really doesn't, is really confused about what's happening. That is a very, very common um, issue, I think, for so many. I mean, I've heard so many stories within families of, you know, somebody stealing something or they're afraid of somebody and, you know, the person has, you know, hasn't taken anything Um, and maybe they're having some hallucinations or some delusions, but no one's really talking in those terms. And so you don't really, you don't really know. And then there's always that undercurrent of, well, could this be happening? And do I not believe my parent? Because I mean, the worst thing you would ever want is for someone to um, be taken advantage of, you know, when they're vulnerable and not listening to that. But we don't communicate when we're having those issues uh, so, so often, which is too bad. Now, one of the things, you know, that I, I love about your book, too, is is just some of the titles that you have of the, <laughs> of the chapters in the book. Redefining Normal, um, Remembrance of, of Things Lost, um, Medical Muddles and Other Delights, um, The Sucker Punch, and I think there's a lot of sucker punches that come up um, when you're dealing with dementia because things just kind of happen out of the blue or Oops goes the apple cart. Um, you you really you touch on a lot of great emotion. How was that for you to to write? Was that a, did it feel healing to you? Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I would <clears throat> I was going to say that when we were talking about suggestions for caring for the caregivers, keep a journal um, because. It, for a number of reasons, it, it helps you vent, but it also captures all the precious moments as well. But writing the book uh, was, I, it's, it's kind of, it's indescribable how healing and how um, maturing of my attitude toward the whole experience it, it was. So many times it helped me to soften my reaction, the reactions that I were just kind of right, right at the surface all the time because I was tired and I was frustrated and I was worried. And I, the emotion, I was, it was hard to put a cap on those on emotions under those circumstances in, in that state. Um, but looking back, I could forgive other people, for example. Um, sometimes it's a dear friend of, of your loved one uh, who will be the insensitive person who doesn't know how to handle it and says the, the, the crazy off the wall things that you think, oh my gosh, what are you saying? Um, and, and I was able, for, when I wrote about those, and as I would come to the end of describing them, I would say, it would sink into me, you know, that person was doing the best they could do with the situation at the time. So for me, a lot of it was, it, it helped me forgive myself it, uh, for the mistakes I made. It helped me forgive other people for, you know, for the misunderstandings or the mistakes that, that they might have made, too. And just I, I see things much more clearly. It's just awfully hard to see uh, when you're in the jungle, you know, when you're in the middle of the of the of the the trees it's 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 hard to to see all these things but you you step out of it and you get you get a much better perspective one of the things you write in here is ching ching goes the crumbling of her life's memory memories um clunking into tiny piles of rubble at her feet and none of us can sweep fast enough to keep things tidied up how did that make you feel in those moments you know i I guess I I went into it with this kind of kind of a, a, of a hero complex. I was going to go in and fix everything. I was going to help them, you know, shore up all this all this uh, this uncertainty and clean up this and get us all back on track and and make their lives better. But what I wasn't taking into account was the degenerative process. You know, the the progressive nature of what they were both going through, my dad physically and, and, and my stepmother uh, psychologically. Um, and, and so I, I went into it with this idea that I was going to be able to, to, to fix things. And you can't, of course, you can't. So that for, for me, I had to deal with those 
emotions with that disappointment or that um, I had to come to terms with what I could and couldn't do for them. And I think that's a tough one for a caregiver. You you want to fix things. You want to make it better. I wanted to introduce um, old old activities, old entertainment. I, I once rented a movie, uh, The Young Frankenstein, the Mel Brooks movie, because we decided we needed some laughter. You know, we had a little laughter every day would be good. And that was a movie that both of them had loved when it first came out, thought it was hysterical. Well, not so much when you're suffering from dementia or my dad was feeling horrible and we realized later he had oxygen supply to the brain issues with oxygen supply to the brain. It was one of the bigger mistakes I made along the way. It was not a good experience, but um, I, I was trying to recapture some of the joy or the, or the, the laughter that, that was just not recapturable at this point. And it was, that was not the way to go about it. You have to find new ways to, you know, maybe the, the family old family story that everybody's always chuckled about that everybody can still remember. Or, you know, I think a lot about that too. It's, it's like they're, they were struggling so much with feelings of lost, lost uh, worth, self-worth. There is, so much of our self-image is tied into our mental and physical capabilities. And when you start to lose those, it's like people devalue them. They, they, they feel they have no, no longer have worth. And so that, that is something that, that is really is the most important thing to focus on rather than trying to go back and, and, you know, recapture old attributes, old, uh, um, old skills and, or maintain them is just, Let's focus on reminding you that you still have worth because that's something we can do. And there are ways of, of doing that that I realize now that I, I wasn't quite on top of at the time. And that, that's one of my regrets. That is, that is so true. You write in your book, perhaps I seek the unattainable. It certainly wouldn't be the first time, but I am capable of turning into teachable moments and just that learning of new ways is so you, important. A couple of examples of, of things that you learn to do differently. I think I thought that sleeping, the napping, all the napping that everybody was doing was not a good thing. I mean, obviously, on a, in a normal person, in the life of a, of a person who does not suffer from dementia or extreme physical decline, um, then too much time in bed is not a good thing. So I kind of fought that for a while, but I, I think I realized, and I've read, I've read this in the literature in numerous places since then, that this has to be something, you, you have to allow people as much control over their lives as they can possibly have. They've already relinquished so much of that control to others by necessity. So when um, when Zelda wanted to have an, another nap after you know 20 minutes after she'd had her last nap, I had to to learn to say, okay, then then maybe when you get up we can take a little walk, or you know maybe when you get up we can we can have another quarter of a sandwich because eating was a big issue for us, or maybe when you get up we can pay, play a little game of um, I don't know we actually played Trivial Pursuit. The, or something similar to that, and and would kind of I would really tailor the questions or, or or try to pull out ones that I I knew we could we could handle, but I had to back off my own goals and try to step into her her uh, world. I guess is how you you say it that that um, she this is what she needed. She knew she needed maybe to escape, and that's okay. It was okay, and it was therapeutic for her to do that. It was a hard one for me because I wanted to, again, to make things better. And when I should have been focusing on dealing with the moment, <laughs> in the moment, and um, kind of rolling with, with uh, what was actually doable, and that, that was a tough one for me. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I can imagine so... Um, this is a, this is another uh, piece that you wrote. You said the quandary: if you're self-aware enough to worry about what you're obsessing, does that mean you are actually quite sane? Dad used to say it's not paranoia if they're really out 
out there to get you. <laughs> and, you know, I love these little, you know, quips that you have and how you weave them in, you know, as, as kind of learning teachable moments to the rest of us reading, reading your book there. Now, you know, looking in the rearview mirror is always um, an easy thing to do. Um, and realize that maybe we should have done things differently. Is there anything, are there like two or three things that you would have done differently? I think from the big one for me is that I touched on it a minute ago, this idea of um, realizing when they, when they would express this sense of worthlessness, a couple of years before the dementia became evident, um, I had been helping my husband and I had been helping my dad do something, and and so my husband was up on a little step stool or step stool or something, and commented on the clever arrangement of the the drapery hardware or something like that. And my dad said, "Yeah, I wasn't always worthless," and he chuckled. You know, you well laugh, <laughs> you laugh, um, but it's it, it that that feeling became very real. And over those next couple of years, we were no longer chuckling about it. And I think the one one the main thing I would have wished I had realized was that when someone expresses feelings of worthlessness, gushing out, oh, no, 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 you're, you're not worthless. You think of all the people you're, you're valued to. Think of all the people you've helped over the That's That direct approach is just going to get brushed off and, and sloughed off. Um, I'm, I'm reading a, a good book now, Grace in the Face of Dementia by John Dunlop, and he talks about how you can just let that person know, oh, I just, you know, you, you've always been, I love the way you can make me laugh, or I so enjoy those the stories that we share, that, that you tell me, you know, uh, the family, the old family tales or what, whatever. Something a little more subtle that expresses the fact, that lets them know that relationship Relationship is very important to you. That person is still very important to you and has has worth in this moment uh, for those reasons. But I think I was trying. Well, I would kind of do a knee jerk reaction at the time and just the the, the oh no, I'm going to argue with that. Well, if someone is is really feeling it, you don't argue with the feeling. But there are plenty of opportunities to reinforce in a really genuine uh, way. The, the ways that that relationship is important and the way that the person um, still has worth in, in their role and in their relating to their family members and, and then in the storytelling and in the, the sense of humor. So that that's a big one for me. When you were you were talking about the, the worthlessness, I was thinking, you know, uh, what you were talking about was being subtle, but you were also being very specific. And you were being specific to your relationship, you know, with them that, oh, I love the way you make me laugh or the way you make me feel or, you know, whatever it is. But it, it's it's an intimate statement where sometimes I think, and, and as you were saying that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just did this with a friend of mine who has cancer. And I kind of did this global statement of, how, you know, how much you're loved and valued and appreciated. And and it's it's like too big. And it, it, I don't know, I guess it, it, it's probably better just have that more intimate conversation um, with them and letting them know how, how you feel. That's something that they can't argue with <laughs> because yeah. it's your feeling. <laughs> so, yes, I think, I think so. The other thing you had said is don't argue with their feelings. <laughs> I think we do that as care partners a lot. We want to get them out of that mood, and so we 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 almost argue, try to argue them out, which of course does not help at all. But I think it's a very common thing that people do. They just they want to fix it instead of support it. I think one reason that, for me personally, one reason I would do that is you. It pulls you down too. You know, when you see someone sinking into this pit of depression and and when we would have three sunny days and then a half a day of rain and, and Zelda would could think of nothing but how horrible the weather has been forever and ever. And I would try to, you know, argue logic with her, partly because seeing her like that 
pulled me down too. So I think that, you know, that's part of it too, is this kind of this, this natural human reaction we have where, oh, let's not, you know, let's not go there. Let's, let's uh, boy, boy things up. But, but absolutely no, it's, it, you can't, you can't really argue with it. It just doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you have any, any regrets in your, in your caregiving journey that you'd like to share? I guess I, that's where writing the book was very, very helpful, and that's why I so encouraged journal journal keeping for for caregivers, um, keeping a journal for caregivers. I was so highly emotional. I'm the person who talks to the television or or you know yells at the politician who's on the radio or whatever. I'm a lousy card player. It's all out there. I constantly was trying to tamper down my own reactions. This is how I'd always related to Zelda in the past, is that we could be honest with each other. We could say what came to mind. I, I could express my emotion, um, my feeling. I wish I could have been better tuned into her need rather than, than my habit of, of gushing emotion. Um, that, that's a regret that I have. And I don't, it's so personality deep that I, I'm not sure I probably would have needed some, some intensive counseling to, at the time to, <laughs> to kind of re, uh, redesign that part of me. But um, that, that I regret because she did pick up so easily on my mood and or, or my agitation or my frustration. And sometimes we would be out somewhere and, again, someone might do something that I felt was rude and inconsiderate of Zelda. So I would kind of you know, have a little bit of a little minor eruption for just, just momentarily even, and she would pick up on that. And then I would feel awful because I had caused her distress. So keeping a lid on, on the emotions, I guess, on the emotional reactions, I think would have been uh, really helpful to me. And I think I learned to do better, to be better at it as time went on, but, but it's a, a bit of a regret at this point. Well, it's a, it's a tough thing. And I think, um, I think what you talked about really was how they mirror our emotions. And that is something that I think still needs a lot more discussion for people to understand. I did that too. I think every, every care partner probably does that because, you know, you're used to your relationship being one way and in, I think in our minds, we, we're still trying to preserve their personality. And so we think that that's all kind of wrapped into it. And so subtle things, we don't, um, subtle things, I guess, that give us great comfort. We don't notice the change because of our emotions. You know, it's a priority for us at that moment because each of us as, as human beings need our emotions met and when you're so used to having that authentic relationship with somebody it's hard to notice that it's changed when you're in an emotional state yourself and so I do think it is something that we have to we have to realize that they could be perfectly content but if we come in agitated or mad or whatever it is going to affect them vice versa if they're down and, and we're silly and stuff, sometimes that we can get them to mirror that back as well. Did you see that at all with with uh, Zelda where you could maybe pull her out of a mood by being silly? Um, you know, I think that um, I was one of those things that I didn't catch on to soon enough. So that by the time I was kind of catching on or kind of, um, you know, that was sinking into me. She had progressed and it was less, it was harder and harder to do that. But I, I would go back to when she was in a whimsical mood, just climb right on a board, climb a board, you know, and, and ride that as far as you can. But it also, I, I, what I did learn was that a nap maybe might, you know, clear the, the mind of a little resentment that might have uh, from a from a misunderstanding that might have occurred or yeah a change of activity that is something i think um that that can be very very helpful i i could occasionally just change the subject and i think that's a, a, a um natural thing that you would do in in any day-to-day -day conversation and it i think that's a very effective tool 
when when things aren't kind of staying on track. And I I just so agree with what you said about your you are your you have a history of a relationship with this person, and the relationship to you is the same pretty much. <laughs> um, you you aren't changing, but the person in front of you, the person across from you, the person um, who, who's the object of, of your loving concern is changing daily, perhaps, and or from hour to hour. It could be uh, fluctuating back and forth between the old them and, and this new, this strange new new person that you you can't really get to know. And um, so it's it's hard to keep shifting gears, and you don't really know. You don't always know what you're going to be dealing with. So that that's a, that's a challenge, but it's also uh, a, a conquerable one, I, I believe. You know, as you, as you said, you kind of you uh, you just pull out you pull out the the, the family joke or the you know, the 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 bit of of silliness that that might be distracting or or just healing or or at the time and and I think that's a a good approach. Great. Now, in um, wrapping up, I I want to ask you this question and. Um, because I think sometimes, especially when people start this journey, they get really frustrated and there's a, there can be a lot, of, a lot of angst. What were some of the gifts that you received and caring for, for both Zelda and your dad? You know, I would not give that experience up for anything. And it was the most emotional roller coaster ride of my life. Uh, but there was so much. I learned things that I never would have learned had I not had that intimate day-to-day uh, contact and and we, we shared this very this monumental uh, challenge life challenge together that was that was such a gift because that and that's the kind of thing you talk about where you kind of almost feel sorry for your family members who aren't involved because they miss out on that there there's an intimacy um, there's it I and I don't mean to <laughs> to go corny on you here but it it's like love blooms you know you just your your compassion is that it's at it's it's fully realized in that situation because you you do you 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 feel sometimes you can actually you feel the distress or the delight of the person you're with because they're they're dealing with life on simpler terms sometimes they're they're more uh they're more revealing of of their feelings as well and i just i discovered things about my father and my stepmother who I'd and I lived with them a couple times as an adult I had I was very close to both of them very close and yet there were things that I discovered in that last 18 months that I never would have known and I I will treasure that for forever yeah I I agree I I explained my journey um over my 30 years with with my mom and then my dad was also sick um, part of that time with brain cancer. Like you said, supporting them through that challenging stage, it's, you said love blooms. You know, to me, I learned, I, I say I learned new levels of unconditional love that I didn't know existed. And it was, it was almost like a religious experience because you, you get to know somebody at, at depths that you didn't know before. And you start cherishing these really, simple little things that you might have missed because you were in too big of a hurry. Uh, would you say that's accurate for you too? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, the I just can't think of of other circumstances in which those kinds of, uh, the intensity is quite comparable. So yeah, I agree completely. Okay. Well, in, in wrapping up here, uh, I just want to, you know, highly recommend that people uh, pick up your book, Loving Zelda, A Stepdaughter's uh, Caregiving Journal. It is just filled with, with wonderful insights and, and true raw emotions and you use humor and, you know, you just, you keep pushing through um, and getting to the depths of these relationships. You can go to, to Sue Ann's uh, website, which is lovingzelda.com, lovingzelda.com. She also has another website called yourrecipesforlife.com. And she has a Facebook page. If you put her, uh, her name in, uh, she actually has two Facebook pages. But if you put Sue Ann and then Ann is A-N-N-E, 
uh, Kirkham and look for her author's page. You can connect with her that way. And then we've also listed her email address, which is S-A-W-K talk to at gmail.com. That's S-A-W-K talk to at gmail.com. Again, I can't thank you enough, Sue Ann, for joining us and for taking taking a decade to write your book. Um, it was it was well worth the wait. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, I've really uh, learned a lot and, and I'm um, very grateful for the opportunity to talk to you. Well, great. Thank you. To our listeners, I'm just going to remind you uh, the Memory Cafe directory is available. Just go to memorycafedirectory.com. They have that for the U.S. They're also starting to develop uh, directories for other countries as well, and that is sponsored by Calendar Cards, which is a memory system created to help people live independently and manage their lives for as long as possible. And Calendar and Cards are both uh, spelt with a K, but again, just go to memorycafedirectory.com. I also want to give a shout out to the Women's Alzheimer's Movement. That is Maria Shriver's group. She's doing amazing work, and her website is the Women's Alzheimer's Movement.org. The Women's Alzheimer's Movement.org. And um, last, I'd like to give a shout out to. Uh, Purple Table Reservations. This is a a great group that's developed an app. Uh, We need more restaurants on board, but they're working on that, uh, where you can find a restaurant that knows how to really treat your loved one if they have um, dementia, if they have autism, post-traumatic stress. Um, They've really been trained uh, to to deal with you. There might be some menu modifications. Uh, They have better lighting, uh, they're able to communicate in different ways, and, and um, it's, it's, it's just a fantastic, fantastic um, a group there. And again, you can find them at purpletables.com. And don't forget to share this episode with your Facebook friends, your Twitter tribe, or your LinkedIn groups. The more we have these conversations, the better off everyone will be. And you'll find more resources for us at alzheimerspeaks.com. Thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Bye now. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.